Hello and welcome. I see many familiar faces and I'm really pleased that you had me back, to be honest. It's really fantastic um, that you invited me back. Thank, thank you, Montez and, and uh, Living Word Church for having me here. Uh, it's a privilege to share God's Word with you today. It always is. Um, and, and God's been working on me as I prepare this uh, sermon. And my prayer for you that, that in, in the lead up to this, I've been praying for you that he works on you too. As you, as you hear his word, the beauty of it, um, but the challenge of it too. God is speaking straight to our hearts through this passage. So I pray that you can hear it. So I want to start by asking you, have you ever been let down? Have you ever been let down? There's a couple of slides that are going to come up shortly. You know, someone makes a promise to you that if you bought this, you'd end up with a meal like this. And if you're anything like me, you end up with a meal like this. All those wonderful ab thingos that you see at midnight, you know? You're promised that they'll turn you into someone who looks like Superman or Superwoman, aren't you? What they don't tell you that is that you need to work on it 23 hours a day and eat lentils only. And then you'll look like that, maybe. But I want to bring that let down feeling a bit closer to home. I want you to think of someone that you were close to who let you down or betrayed you. Yes, I'm sure we can all think of people that we were close to who let us down. Maybe they betrayed us, maybe they let us down. You know that friend you had at school, or you thought they were a friend, and you told them a secret, and they told the whole school? That one. Or your boyfriend or your girlfriend, long ago, for many of us anyway. Um, so, what did you do? What was your response when you were let down? What was your response? Did you just avoid them at all costs? Did you not speak to them ever again? Did you badmouth them? What did you do? Just keep that thought in your mind. I'm going to say a lot between now and when you need to bring that thought back again. But just keep that thought in. What was your response when you were let down? <clears throat> so last time I shared with you from John 14, verse 6 in particular, and John 14 forms part of what's called, commonly called Jesus' farewell discourse, which is chapters 13 through to 17, roughly speaking. And this is where Jesus' public ministry is finished and he's with his disciples. He's in the shadow of the cross and he's preparing his disciples for what's coming. He knows they are clueless. And during that discourse, he said, Jesus says some of the most profound things ever said by anyone on this planet. He says, I am the way, the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. I preached on that last time. Do you remember? I can hardly remember myself, so it's fine if you don't. Um, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another as I have loved you. This is the sort of thing that Jesus was saying to his disciples in this farewell discourse. And today I want to share with you specifically from John 13, which has been beautifully read by Penny. Thank you. But before I do, I want to give you some context. What's happening here? What's happening in the lead up to John 13? 
just before Passover. And Jesus comes into Jerusalem on a chariot, in a Mercedes. No way. He comes in on a donkey, a borrowed donkey. The Pharisees are saying to themselves, this Jesus stuff is out of control. We've got to do something. We've got to do something quick. People are following him in droves. Jesus predicts his own death. And he's done that before. The disciples have heard that before. And he's talking to his disciples about a, a lot of weird things, about wheat and grain and seeds and that, that he is the light. So this is all happening in John chapter 12 in the lead up. And still the disciples don't understand. I don't think we would have if we were there either. Still they are as thick as we are today. They don't understand what Jesus is saying, what he's preparing for, what's about to happen. An interesting love, love is the key theme of his discourse. So in those five chapters, love turns up 31 times. The word love turns up 31 times in Jesus' farewell discourse. In the first 12 chapters of John, it only turns up five times. So Jesus is really focusing on preparing his disciples for what's coming. So let's have a look at John 13, 1 to 5. And, and it's, it's, it's up on the slide, but I want to read it again. And just, I just want, to, want you to soak this in. It was just before the Passover festival. Jesus knew that the hour had come for him to leave the world and go to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. The evening meal was in progress and the devil had already prompted Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, to betray Jesus. Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power and that he'd come from God and was returning to God. So he got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing and wrapped a towel around his waist. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with the towel that was wrapped around him. I want to ask you a question. If you knew you were going to die very soon, what would you be doing? What would you be doing if you were going to die tomorrow, the next day? What would you be doing? Would you be making sure your will was in order? Your finances? Would you be washing your camel? Would you, hopefully, you'd be going to your family and friends and saying goodbye. Would you ensure, for instance, that you've seen every 57 series of Game of Thrones? What would you be doing? Think about it. Here's Jesus. He knows he's going to the cross. He's in the shadow of the cross. And what's he doing? He's completely unconcerned about his own condition and what's ahead of him. He is totally preoccupied with preparing the disciples for what's ahead. It's a beautiful picture. Beautiful picture. So if we have a look at verses 1 and 2, we know it's, he's coming to Jerusalem and it says in verses 1 and 2, that he loved his disciples to the end. What that means is he loved them completely. He loved them unreservedly, unconditionally. And we're told that the evening meal is in progress. That's important. You have to remember two things. You have to remember how, how you responded when you were let down and you have to remember that the evening meal was 
in progress. Two important facts here. Do you reckon you can do that? I hope so. I'll remind you. Um, so we're told that the mirror is in progress when something remarkable happens. And I'll read from verse 3. Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power and that he had come from God and was returning to God. So he got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing and wrapped a towel around his waist. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with the towel that was wrapped around him. Do you see what's happening? Do you see what's happening from verse 3 to verse 4? I keep going out of picture, don't I, Montez? Do you see what's happening from verse 3 to 4 here? If you look, he knew he was returning to God, so he got up and washed his disciples' feet. What that says is, because he was God, he served. Do you get, do you get that? Because he was God, he served. His very nature is to serve. He was acting in complete and utter harmony with his character by serving. It wasn't in spite of who he was. It was because of who he was that he served. And we need to understand this is no ordinary act of service. This is, you know, Jesus could have served the disciples any way he wanted to that night. He could have done anything. But what did he choose to do? He chose to wash their feet. See, in those days, foot washing was a pretty rotten, awful, dirty, unpleasant, smelly thing to have to do. It was a job that was given to the Gentile slaves. That's who did the foot washing in those days. So what I don't want us to do, and I'm going to put a slide up shortly, I don't want us to romanticise this. You know, there was no Christian music playing in the background here. And, and things floating around and a, and a you know, lovely, wonderful setting here. This is Jesus doing the most awful, smelly, dirty job that anyone could do at that time. It wasn't like that. It was not like that. See, this was a time in history called BU. You've heard of BC and AD. This is BU, before, before Uber. <laughs> And JFC, which is Jerusalem Fried Chicken, had not yet started its home delivery service, okay? So you had to walk everywhere to get a meal. So by the time you got anywhere, your feet were caked in dirt and mud. It was hot, it was sweaty, it was smelly, they were caked in mud. You got somewhere and at the entrance to every Jewish home was a pot of water. And the slave's job, the servant's job, the Gentile servant, their job was to wash the guests' feet as they came in. So here is Jesus doing the lowliest job you could possibly imagine in that culture. And notice also that Jesus does everything. He doesn't ask for any help. He puts the towel on. When you put the towel on, that, that is what a servant did as they prepared to wash feet. He pours the water. He washes their feet. He dries their feet. He doesn't ask for any help at all. He does the whole lot. Can you imagine how the disciples felt? Can you imagine how they felt? 
as the Lord of heaven and earth, got up, got the water, got the basin, stooped and came round and washed their feet. Can you just imagine how they felt? How it must have stung their heart. Because clearly none of the disciples were interested in washing each other's feet, were they? None of them got up before the meal started and said, I'll do that. There might have been no one around. I'll, I'll do that. I'm happy to do that. No one did that. No one was interested in washing each other's feet. That's why we're told the meal was in progress. So the meal had already started. That wasn't what normally happened. Normally, the feet would be washed beforehand. But Jesus gave them the opportunity to volunteer to do it. He waited and no one volunteered. I reckon most of them would have gladly washed Jesus' feet. But how do you think they would have gone washing each other's feet? Because if you read Luke's account of this, so Luke, in Luke 22 in the Last Supper, anyone know that off by heart? That's when, that's when the disciples are actually arguing about who is the greatest in the kingdom. So here they are, they've just had an argument about being great. Jesus has given the opportunity to wash each other's feet. They haven't taken it. Jesus has done it. How would they have felt if they had to wash each other's feet? Because that would have been an admission of inferiority, wouldn't it? It would have put them below in the rung of hierarchy of disciples. And they'd just been arguing about who was the greatest. Do you see what's happening here? Just, just, do you see the, the profound nature of what Jesus is trying to teach them and us here? So what happened was no one's feet got washed. So Jesus got up in the middle of the meal and he did it. It's interesting to know that according to Jewish law, it was absolutely unthinkable, completely and utterly unthinkable that the master would wash the feet of his disciples. Now I'm going to take a bit of a stab about what Jesus was not thinking as he did this beautiful act of service. I reckon he's not thinking... I'd rather not have to do this, but if I have to. This is a dirty job, but you know, these guys need a lesson. He's not thinking, this is really not a job I should be doing. Come on. Why can't someone else do this? This is really, really humiliating. He's not thinking any of those things. That's what we'd be thinking. Am I right? That's what we'd be thinking if we had to do that. But Jesus' very nature, because he was God... And he is God. He serves. That's his very nature. Have you got it yet? Are you picking up what's happening here? This is an act of service that's on the extreme end. This is like an 11 out of 10 act of service. This is, this is a wonderful act of service. Knowing that he came from God, knowing he was going back to God, knowing that God put everything in his hands, all power in his hands, what did he do? Did he demand service? Did he flash his majesty? No, he served. See, the form of God was not exchanged for the form of the servant. The form of God was revealed in the form of a servant. And then we have, um, we have verses 6 to 13, which is Peter and Jesus having that little chat. You remember that? 
Peter saying, I don't want you to wash my feet, backwards and forth. I'm not actually going to speak on that because there's about four sermons in that little passage alone. I want to go on to Jesus wrapping up this foot washing and teaching the disciples what they need to know and what we need to know as Christians today. So I'll read to you again verses, verses 12 to 17. When he had finished washing their feet, he put on his clothes and he returned to his place. Do you understand what I've done for you? He asked them. You call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so, for this is what I am. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you should also wash one another's feet. I have set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. Very truly I tell you, no servant is greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. Now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. So notice in verse 14 what Jesus does not say. He does not say, since I washed your feet, you better wash mine. He doesn't say that, does he? Really interesting. See, that's how the world defines love. The world defines love. You do something for me, I demand you do something for me. But Jesus doesn't. Instead, in verse 14, he says, Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. Do you see the difference? Do you see the difference in what Jesus is asking us to do? Do you see the standard of love and service Jesus is calling us to? So if the disciples were wondering what the measure of greatness was, as they were arguing how good they all were, Jesus has given them an answer, hasn't he? Love leading to self-sacrificial service is a measure of true greatness in the kingdom of God. I'll say that again. Love leading to self-sacrificial service is the measure of greatness in the kingdom of God. So in verses 15 to 17, Jesus is not really saying, I mean, he's not saying start up a foot washing club. I mean, he can, but he's not really saying that. What he's saying is follow the example of the way I behave. Follow my humility and my service. That's the lesson here. Follow the depths of the service that I've shown you today. Practical humility and service is what Jesus is saying. Have my attitude. That's why he's saying do as I do. Back to the question I asked you at the start. So what was your response when you were betrayed or let down? Because do you, do you want to know, I, I found something even more striking as I read and prepared for the sermon than the foot washing itself, which is pretty amazing. Um, and, and I want to talk about it now. But I want you to think back um, about being betrayed, about being let down and how you responded to the people that did that to you, that were close to you. Because do you know what happens in the very next verse? John 13, verse 18. Anyone know? I'll tell you. Jesus predicts his betrayal. And Do you know what happens later in John 13, 37 and 38? Peter and Jesus are having this little tate-to-tate. And Peter is saying, I'll follow you to death. 
And Jesus said, no, you'll deny me three times. So here we have the Lord of heaven and earth. Jesus knew this was happening. This wasn't a surprise to Jesus that he was going to be betrayed, let down, uh, and Peter was going to overpromise. This was not a surprise. Lord of heaven knows everything. And what did he do? Think back to what, what your response was. Put up your hand if you, if, and I, you know, I know most of you, so you know, I'll know whether you're telling fibs or not. Put up your hand if you were betrayed or let down, like we talked about at the start, and your response was, I'd love to share a meal with that person. Actually, I've got an even better idea. I'm going to go and wash their feet. Anyone? No. That's what we would say as fallen people. Jesus' response was to get up and to serve. See, Jesus repeatedly taught against pride with his life and his teaching. And nowhere is it more evident than in this little passage in John. And the foot washing began the humiliation of Jesus. So this wasn't just, I want you to try and understand, this is not just humbling himself. This was humiliating. This was, so washing the feet began the humiliation of Jesus. He washed the feet and he went to the cross. Now the foot washer in those days, the Gentile servant, was of a lowliest position. What was an even more lowly position? A criminal who didn't even have a part in society. So Jesus, Jesus um, humiliation went from bad to worse in a day or so, didn't it? It went from a servant to a criminal. Do you understand the depth of his love? Why does he do that? He does it because of his extravagant, extraordinary love for you and I and for his disciples. So look, in closing... I just want to ask some questions, and God was really challenging me as I prepared this too, so I'm asking myself the same questions. What costs have you incurred in serving others lately? Is your status more important to you than serving others? Are you willing to be humiliated in order to serve others? How much time of the last week or two have you spent serving others? And what inconveniences have you taken on as you serve others? Just think about that for a minute and think about the passage we've just gone through and the depth of love that Jesus has displayed. That was pretty inconvenient, which is an understatement. You see, the world says you'll be happy when you take all you want. Jesus says you'll be fulfilled when you give all you can. The world says you'll be happy when you can get others to give you what you want. But Jesus says you'll be fulfilled when you learn to love others as I have loved you. See, Jesus' foot washing is a picture of a lifestyle of love reflected in service to others. And the foot-washing lifestyle is grounded in God's love for us. 
So you'll be glad to know I'm nearly there. And I want to sum up. My prayer for all of us today is that you've caught a glimpse of the standard of love and service that God is calling all of us to. But I want to be very clear. This is not about trying harder. As Montez said before, about coming to church more often, doing all this. This is not, because it's not based on our merit. It's based entirely on what Jesus has done for us. So this is about us as Christians, bowing our knee and surrendering our lives to Jesus and asking him to transform our hearts so that love and service come naturally to us as well. God alone can do that. You can try as hard as you like, but God alone can transform your heart to be like that. So I'll say it one more time. Jesus' very nature, who he was, his character, his very being, meant he served. So the challenge for all of us is to be so filled with his Holy Spirit and transformed to the likeness of Christ that our very nature means that we serve with humility and self-sacrifice exactly as Jesus did. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for the picture of service that has come through this morning. We know that the foot washing was a dirty, smelly job, only done by Gentile slaves. And we see in that the depth of your love. We see in that that your character reflects that service. Father God, we ask that by your Holy Spirit, you would indwell us, that you would challenge us, that you would push us to become more like Jesus by spending time with you, by inviting the Holy Spirit into our lives on a daily basis, by reading your word, by communing with you, so that you can transform our hearts, so that our very nature can be one of humility and service. Amen.